Here's a little fun fact. Did you know that for over five years, I taught thousands of people at hundreds of different events, both in person and online, how to grow their businesses. And I did this for Google. And now I want to do it for you. I'm offering up some special complimentary coaching opportunities for a few lucky wise squirrels. Visit wisequirrels.com slash coaching. Welcome to Wise Squirrels, the podcast for late-diagnosed adults with ADHD. I'm your host, Dave Delaney. A quick note to thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your kind reviews. You listened, and you actually did it, and I just was pleased, so, so pleased. So thank you so much for taking the time to leave uh, your reviews uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. I saw a bunch Uh, posted uh, to Apple Podcasts, and that's uh, super sweet. So thank you for that. A quick reminder, the content provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. I'm not a medical professional, so always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider regarding any medical condition, including ADHD. Reliance on any information provided by this podcast is solely at your own risk. So just go talk to your doctor. Just talk to your doctor. Today, I'm speaking with Sandra Clifton, a board-certified educational therapist. Sandra runs Clifton Corner and helps students, athletes, artists, and highly sensitive persons, HSPSs, at SandraClifton.com and SensitiveStudents.com. We spoke about the importance of looking beyond labels associated with ADHD, advocating for a strengths-based, talent-focused approach. We talked about ADHD with curiosity and compassion and how that works, understanding the individual's unique story and their strengths. Sandra's journey also was interesting from education to emotional intelligence. The significance of emotional literacy in educational settings is another topic we covered. Plus, we talked about creating a safe emotional environment for effective learning. And we included tips for self-awareness, including reading and music. We geeked out a little bit about the bear. Um, We also talked about a bunch of great books that you're going to hear about today. And finally, the power of embracing imperfection and focusing on the process. So I started the interview today by asking Sandra about being a high school teacher. You were a high school teacher. Is that correct? I was. That is correct. God bless Mm -hmm. you. Thank you. (laughs) Because I was a high school student with ADHD, (laughs) undiagnosed. And I can tell you right now, I I have a lot of apology letters to write. Mm. Uh, (laughs) So tell me a little bit about how your work as a high school English teacher uh, drove you to begin begin exploring and and leading to your your coaching work with uh, ADHD? Well, and what I want to track back and say is maybe there's some educators who have the desire to write some apology letters too. Um, Mm. We know a lot more now than we did then. Um, And one of the things I say to my clients in sessions is on behalf of all adults, I apologize. Mm. Um, And and they look at me and they shake their head and they say, it's okay. And I say, well, you know, actually it's not okay. Um, But I, you know, I think that's to answer your question. When I was teaching high school, um, I, it was, it was almost like there was an invisible shingle outside my classroom door that said Clifton counseling, you know, and kids would show up for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it was for help mm. um, at, with the content, right. Or the delivery of their assignments. I'll, I would say a lot of the time they just really needed someone to talk to and someone who would hear them and see them and affirm where they were without an expectation attached. Mm. And that's, that's huge because I I know that you sort of built in 
executive functioning skills into what you were teaching without really realizing it. Is that right? Oh, I realized it. Oh, you um, did realize it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I I mean, okay, I didn't know it was called executive functioning, but yeah. I absolutely, you know, I needed it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed Mondays to be, you know, for example, with my freshmen, they always walked in and saw the new vocabulary words, which were also, they made me teach spelling to freshmen, but okay. Mm-hmm. So, which were also the spelling words, and they were also going to find those words in the reading they had that week. And they knew on Fridays, we'd have the Friday quiz, you know, and I, that was in the old days when, thank goodness, I saw, I always call my kids, I saw my kids at the same time every day. I got to see them each of the five days of the week. Mm. Um, And so the, you know, the organization, I will call it, of that old fashioned system um, supported, I think, executive functioning much better than but I, you know, I I had to have all of these systems and structures for me. And then I would teach them um, how, what I was doing and how I was chunking. And, and I didn't call it that, of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I learned later it was called chunking and scaffolding and um, planning. Um, but I really had to, I really had to break things down. I can't imagine having not done things in that way, because that's how I knew my, my kids would be successful. And I would always say, we're a team. You know, I would say, you can call me Miss Clifton, Miss C or coach. And they would look at me like I was crazy. <laughs> Did they call you coach or, or, <laughs> you know, I would have loved that. Um, yeah. if they had, I had, I was raised <laughs> by a dad who wanted a boy and ah. he, he taught me to love sports. And what happened because of that is I, I love the spirit of competition. I'm secretly fiercely competitive and mm. um and I wanted I wanted my students to succeed. And so I've always had an affinity with um athletes, also artists um on the other side of the spectrum, but I really didn't feel as if if my students were not doing well, our team wasn't winning. And that was wasn't just hard for me, it hurt. Yeah, I mean you want to see the results of your work. Right. Like the positive results and, and, and obviously they, they need those positive results. Right. I mean, it's. Well, I wanted more than that. I I mean, I've always been accused of having very high standards, standards that are too high. I just didn't want results. I wanted them to find themselves. I wanted them to discover what mattered to them. I wanted them to have their own, to, to realize that learning is this path that will take them to whoever they were supposed to be. And Mm -hmm. that, and that what we were, you know, what we were doing in class was only geography that, mm-hmm. it, but it was, it was a way to create a map to discover what gave them purpose and meaning and ultimately joy. And so from 16 years as a high school English teacher, what, what are some of the the things that you took away from what seemed to work for you best and, and that you carried into your, your practice? Well, I mean, I hate to say this. One of the things I took away was <laughs> the the more fun we had and the and the more empowered I was to do what I knew did work. Yeah. Um the the less comfortable the adults in power were because it meant that my students were thinking and challenging and questioning and investigating and I think those are all characteristics of authentic learning. So one of the lessons I had to accept was that's not really what the administrators at my schools wanted, which is one of the reasons why I had to leave because my yeah. students knew me too well. They they knew that that's what the agenda was <laughs> underneath, yeah. whether it was Shakespeare or grammar. Like if you can write a business letter that has proper grammar, you have much better chances with that cover letter of getting an interview and mm-hmm. et cetera. So um. But one of the things that I took away from my teaching was that discipline shows love. So when I noticed that a student was, let's say, for example, you, Dave, maybe you were acting out, you know, you would have gotten an after school session with me if if you stepped out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Like if you repeated something enough times, like three strikes and you've got some time with me. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what the, one of the first things we would do is we talk about what happened. Like, 
I would have you write a letter and say, you know, and it was actually to your parents, dear mom and dad, I'm mm-hmm. with, with Miss Clifton today. This is why, you know, and the second paragraph would be, here's how I'm going to prevent this in the future. Mm-hmm. And the third paragraph would be, my new goal is this. So I was doing, I was coaching them. I, I was doing metacognition with them. They had to improve the grammar. Um, they had to, uh, they had to clearly understand the the rules of engagement. They had to have the parents sign it. And what happened usually as a result of that time with me, well, I also, before they even sat down to write that letter, they had to straighten the desks, they had to wash the board, they had to pick up any trash at the end of the day. <laughs> am yeah, I done yeah. yet? I yeah. remember like, am I done yet? I'd be like, nope, I need this. Nope, I need that. <laughs> then they had to sit down and write the letter. Then they had to talk to me. Um, then they had to go home and get the signature and bring it back. And inevitably, I would a couple couple weeks later see a little head, you know, peeking around the door after school. And I'd be like, hey, what's up? Do you need anything, Miss Clifton? Do you That's want me to cool. straighten the desks? Yeah. And I'd be like, sure. I'm getting chills on this hot day, Dave, because what those kids needed was someone to notice that something was amiss and to take the time to interact with them and to say, here's how the game works. I'm going to give you the inner rules of the game because you are not getting it. And I know you don't want to mess up. I know you want to succeed. Mm. And and, I, and I'm here to help you, to coach you so that tomorrow will be different. And so I think they also realized that they could make a difference, that they could improve the quality of that classroom environment. And then it mattered. It mattered to me and I think to other people too. But, you know, you got to take the time to do that. So in my private practice, I am one-on-one. And I think that laser focus on each individual um, one at a time is something I think is invaluable. So I'll just pause there. Yeah. Hmm. No, it's, a, it's, a, and what's cool about it too, is I, I'm sure those, uh, students remember you fondly, you know, like I had, I had a, uh, uh, grade seven. I was held back that year by a mm. teacher, Pat Riley, Mr. Riley, who was the best. And he, he was like this kind of big Irish guy who everybody was afraid of until you had him. And then you realize like, and he taught grade seven and eight and he held me back in grade seven. I think every teacher passed me in order to literally pass me to someone, someone else (laughs) to not have to deal with me again. Um, Mm. And I, I believe that was the first, you know, seven years until he got me and then he held me back. He's like, look, you're not, you're not ready for eight and going into high school. So let's, let's focus on some stuff. Um, he also, when I first had him and in my memory, I don't recall whether I intentionally skipped you, you also use a different word for it, but you know, in the, in my day it was detention. Um, what did you call it? After school session or something. After school, after school session. time. Yes, after school <laughs> session. Yes, yes, yes. I like that. Yeah. So he had, I guess maybe when I first had him, he, uh, yeah, he said, you know, I want you to stay after class for detention because I acted out or did something. And after school, I can't remember if I forgot or I just, in my defiant way, just left and went home. I remember it so well i'm in the basement of my house with my brother and we're watching tv it was probably three's company uh, and i hear the doorbell ring really and my mom goes upstairs or my mom answers the door upstairs and i hear her say mr riley like what are you doing here and he's and he said oh uh you know dave forgot his detention so i'm just here to pick him up and and she literally mm-hmm. sent me along with Mr. Riley and he drove me back to school and I had to do my detention. Yeah. <laughs> Something you can't I, get away with now so much, but this is the right. early 70s or mid 70s, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I probably <laughs> called it Clifton detention. And I think <laughs> I think that is a case in point for, you know, you're on my clock. Mm. Uh, this, And I think my clients know this too, like, if five minutes goes by, I'm going to text them. If 10 minutes goes by, you know, I'm going to call them. If 15 minutes goes by, their parents are going to be notified. Like you're on my Clifton clock. Mm-hmm. You are mine for this mm-hmm. 50 minutes. And we're going to move heaven and earth to show up for each other. 
And, you know, one of my languages of love, I guess, is, is the gift of time. And I don't, Hmm. I guess this gets into maybe more than what your podcast is about, but we're all so distracted and fragmented in our attention that having that focus on just one person and, and that turning off everything else, I think is also a form of um, mindfulness. I agree. I agree hundred percent to that. Yeah. I, I am, I practice uh, meditation daily or most almost every day, I should say. And, and mindfulness is part of that. And yeah, attention is, is something that end time is something that I think we, uh, we often forget and it's something finite that, yeah, we have a limited amount of, and so how we spend it is important. And if you're just staring, doom scrolling the news or, you know, mindlessly scrolling through TikTok or whatever, you're, you're missing out on a lot of life. Mm, absolutely. So your business plan is a mix of Mr. Rogers, <laughs> Mary Poppins, and Jerry Maguire. Uh, <laughs> talk to me about that. <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll work backwards. Um, you know, Jerry Maguire, the thing about him is he talk about that time, right? And that attention, he had that one client. And he focused on that one person. Hmm. And, and I think I saw the power of that, like, um, and the bond. So I, I try to explain to, to parents and sometimes psychologists too, attachment and attunement are my cornerstones of the Clifton Corner. And the, I think what's uh, interesting in Jerry Maguire is, you know, again, they, they were a team. So, and they, and they had, and they had to work together to understand each other. And, and that was a bond and they, what their success came as a partnership. Um, so that's, that's Jerry. Mm. Um, okay. I'm thinking about the goldfish, you know, he was like, hello, bottom feeder, yeah. because <laughs> you know, you do, when you start with just one, you're at the bottom kind of was, was what the world thinks. But I think that one is the whole world. Okay. So there's that. Mm. So then, um, Mary Poppins was one of the movies when I was little, of course, you know, um, I'm forgetting her name, Julie, Julie Andrews. Andrews. There yeah. we go. Um, Julie Andrews just was magical to me. And I saw how she took two kind of dejected kids and um, brought their world to, to life and made the simplest things fun. And that's kind of partly my job too, taking the mundane and giving it a little bit. And I know there's a lot to compete with today, but, you know, giving it that, that spark and that, that lilt. And I, I do sing, I used to sing when I taught, I sang answers to my students, mm. but there's, a, there's some acting and some singing and some dancing that goes along with, um, how I approach learning. Hmm. Um, and then of course, Mr. Rogers, um, is the ultimate example of unconditional love. And I just remember when I was a kid, you know, my parents loved me. I adore them. They were, um, you know, they were doing parenting the first time around with me. So <laughs> there's yeah. that, yeah. but Mr. Rogers was the first human who I really heard the words, I like you just the way you are. And I could start like break down and cry right now talking about his um, message of, of seeing kids, accepting kids, loving kids and meeting them exactly where they were and knowing there was nothing that they couldn't talk about or they couldn't um, discuss and, and address in, in those uh, episodes with him. Yeah. He, and and not just kids too, adults as well. Like that's, mm -hmm. that was one of the coolest things about Mr. Rogers retrospectively speaking. Like I, I remember when, uh, will you be my neighbor? The documentary before the Tom Hanks film, the documentary yeah. came out and we went to go see it in the theater. Uh, and it was packed. It was 2018. And I'm a big movie nerd and I love, I love seeing movies in the theater still, you know, the good mm -hmm. movies anyway, like that one. Um, and my wife and I went 
and with our kids who were somewhat familiar with Mr. Rogers, but you know, um, and we saw the movie and I remember thinking this is 2018, uh, in America, <laughs> right? So we are, you know, very, 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 uh, things are very heated. Everybody's very divided politically. Uh, you know, it's not, not the, not the greatest part of, of the country's history, but we're in this movie theater watching a documentary about somebody who we all know and, and most of us grew up with regardless mm -hmm. of our politics or religion or lack of religion or any of that stuff. And it was just a movie theater filled with strangers. And it was such a special moment um, being in there and, and realizing that I'm surrounded by people like all these different people. And in the movie, even, uh, you know, they they, they cover, they talk about some of the inclusivity and some of the stuff that he did, uh, back then, uh, which was just so inspiring, uh, which was yeah. uh, pretty cool. So yeah, coming out of that theater, it was just a, such a nice kind of feeling. And I think everybody, I think there was this collective kind of sigh and breath and breath of, of relaxation of everybody realizing, you know what, we're all kind of humans and we should stop being stupid. <laughs> yeah. Everything I ever needed to learn, I learned in kindergarten. Did, did you ever see that poster? Yeah. 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 All I ever needed to n learn. Yeah. Something like that. Something like I that. Yeah. That in my classroom yeah. at one point. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. And you've done work in like cognitive diversity. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I am a doctoral candidate. I started. I never had the intention of uh, working on my doctorate. I, you know, I did many certifications when I moved to New York and I decided, you know, to, um, to work in education, but outside of schools. And I've, I've worked 16, 17 years on all those certifications. And I finally got board certified as an educational therapist. And I said, okay, you know, my case study took me five years. <laughs> mm. I, this is like a dissertation. I'm done. But then COVID hit and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm a celiac. I'm not going to learn how to bake bread. Like what in the world is, <laughs> am I going to do? I saw the, you know, the whole world imploding. So. And you couldn't um, find the yeast anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so I, um, I heard about this program from another educational therapist and all I was going to do is have this like 10 minute phone conversation with her and find out what, it, you know, what she was doing. It ended up being two hours. And she told me about this program, um, a doctorate in cognitive diversity and education. And I found myself applying. And so at this point I'm, um, I'm in my, I'm writing my dissertation mm. um, and I'm, I'm in chapter four of five chapters, so I'm plowing through the process. Have you ever known somebody who uh, <laughs> can take a test and they may know a little bit of the information, but on a multiple choice test, like they just seem to know what to answer and, and to score pretty well? Yes. Okay. So that's what we would call neurotypical in mm. that there's, you know, there's kind of a grid of information and it's an approach to uh, and it's approach to knowledge as like sequential and linear cognitive diversity. If if you would hear what's going on in my head when I have to choose between all those multiple choice answers, I'm having a huge debate. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm going in circles and down tangents and through all these rabbit holes, and it is really exhausting. And so. You know, I was thinking before this call, I was like, wow, I was trying to teach poetry and drama and literature that's created by these artists who are obviously cognitively diverse mm. to a lot of kids that are on the grid. You know, they're like A plus B equals C. Ms. Clifton, what are you talking about? And I was trying to help them be more cognitively flexible and see a more diverse, multifaceted perspective when they were really liking the approach to history facts. I mean, mm. at least back then, like this happened, the end, right? Or math, do this equation, get this answer, the end. Um, and I think a lot of the way school is taught is, you know, 
learn this scientific fact, you're done. But when we really look at learning, my goodness, that's just the beginning. Uh, quantum physics is like the further down you go, deep down you go, the more chaotic life is, which is so fascinating to me. Anyway, so cognitive diversity is about folks who see those all those different moving pieces, a kaleidoscope of options, and have a, a pretty tricky time fitting into the box called school. Does that help at all? It does. It does. I'm I'm curious too, like from your own, from your studies and and from your experiences too, like in the in the education system. Um, did you ever see uh, Sir Ken Robinson's TED oh, yeah. talk? Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah. Yes. So it was for those who are not familiar. It's called uh, "Do Schools Kill Creativity?" and it's actually the number one. I, at least last I checked, it was the number one TED talk, not TEDx. TED Talk main stage. And um, I actually ended up reading his book or one of his books uh, called, I think it was Finding Your Element. I think it was that one. And mm. I read it because in part, I mean, well, first of all, I, I had two young kids at the time. Uh, they're teenagers now. And so, and they were going to a Montessori school, which I, I really appreciated that methodology. Um but I'm, I, I, so I, I, I enjoyed that book, but I think, you know, it's interesting because being diagnosed with ADHD at 50, um, this year or, you know, within the last several months, it, I've, I've obviously done a lot of reflection on my own life and my own career and education and all the things without, without dwelling on any sort of negative aspects to that, or, or at least trying my best not to do that. Not, you know, the what ifs and all that stuff. Um, but. Where do you see, or do you see, the education system in this country being reformed or updated somehow in order to help serve all types of people, neurologically speaking, or anybody for that matter? It, it is it in the cards? Even is is it possible uh, to reform how we educate so that we can serve and and help everyone? I think, <clears throat> I mean, I, I feel in pictures and the whole time you were talking, I just, there was a whole montage of images going through my head. Um, mm. And one thing I can say is, you know, again, I'm on behalf of all adults. I would say to my students too, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, and I would start this thing to, 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 um, to make my myself feel better too, I would say, well, <laughs> at the Clifton Academy, yeah, we would, yeah. you know, and I would say on rainy days, instead of just snow days, on rainy days, we'd have a rain phone tree and we'd you'd get a call and it, you'd say, it's raining today, grab your book, go start the fire, right. sit by a window, grab your cat, stay in bed, we're going to read today. And then we're going to talk about what we read. And, um, you know, and I say, well, in the Clifton Academy, there wouldn't be bells. You'd hear on Mondays, it'd be jazz Mondays. And by the time that, <laughs> you know, by the time the music stopped, you'd have to be on your seat, just like musical chairs. And yeah. uh, they loved hearing my stories because it meant I wasn't teaching. You know, I went into that Julie Andrews entertaining Mary Poppins mode. But um, right. reform, just even the word reform scares me, right? Because I think reform school. Um uh, yeah, sorry. Update or maybe oh, it's, reboot. <laughs> it's okay. I, you know, but at the same time, I think we're in a quandary because the reboot reboot for me again, I I feel in images is is a mechanical or a technological thing and I I think this could be a huge symposium, right? Of a panel of people hitting around ideas about what what kids need. And, um, and we're, we're so off the mark and we're so far away from, um, reaching them. And it gives me, it gives me so much concern. Hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I, one thing I, I, <laughs> one thing I can tell you right away is one of the, I don't think there are many answers and I, but I do think there are environments and one environment 
that our kids need. And I don't care what kid you are, where you are, you know, what you're learning, what your IQ is or isn't. Nature is one of the answers I really believe mm. is true for every every human soul, really. Yeah. But we um I don't know if you've heard of that book, um Nature Deficit Disorder. Have you, Dave? No. It sounds interesting. Uh-huh. And it, it talks about, you know, the Japanese um had these studies about tree bathing. Yeah. And the benefits of that, right? And then HeartMath here in the States took on some of that research and the the benefits of um, well-being and focus and connectivity and peace that come from being outside are exponential. So uh, that is one thing I can say that I would I wish that we could think about. Um, it, it, yeah. And, yeah, even. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, right away, I was I was really disappointed as my kids moved into a different school that's a little more traditional than Montessori, where like recess was cut. Yep. Yep. You got it's it. Like, or like it, it seemed gradual too. It was like, well, no, it's an hour. Then it was 30 minutes. Then now we're not doing it anymore. And it's like, yeah. you're not even going outside. Like I had you recess know, at least. It sucked because it was all concrete, but still, at least I got outside. It got air, even in the dead of winter. Yep. <laughs> Well, and, you know, Steve Jobs, the, when he was processing, the first thing he would say is, take a walk with me, mm, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that getting out energy and playing and social skills and endorphins, there's just, there's, an, <laughs> there's, it's an all win. It's an all, and giving teachers a break, like, it's yeah. all for the good, recess, yeah. all the way through. I think, I think adults need it. I think kids need it. I, yeah. I think the elderly need, uh, everybody needs recess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I agree completely. I actually, I've developed, I do a lot of public speaking and I've developed a, a new keynote presentation that, that I call more than a tree reaching mm. your roots, standing tall and branching out. And it's about partly about my own discovery of, of ADHD, but it's also like the key takeaways is really like the first is to know yourself and I share some tools to help with that. The second is to respect yourself. And then the third is to find the others. So find your community. And I keep going back to this motif around forests and trees. And, and um, I was speaking to somebody recently, I read a great book uh, last year uh, called it's, it's something to do with like the forest is talking or the trees are talking and Ooh. and it's fascinating because the 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 researcher and writer proves that trees do talk. Oh yeah. Through electrical currents. Yeah. And uh emitting chemicals mm-hmm. through the forest yes. and, and all this stuff. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Richard Richard Powers wrote a book that I he got the Nobel or whatever. Uh, mm. uh and I'm I'm gonna for no, it's called the understory. Now that's not my favorite work that he did but it was based on some of that research about the the trees are communicating with each other warning each other of yeah, yeah. forest fires and yeah they have a whole yeah intricate it's system. really wild yeah the, it's the, fascinating the, i just picked up the book off my shelf it's called the hidden life of trees yeah exactly yeah. it's mm-hmm. fascinating um yep. so uh you know we we talked a little bit about, you know, the, the education system. One thing I'm, I'm curious about, you know, obviously this show is for people like me who are late diagnosed adults with ADHD. And I know you, you obviously serve a lot of, a lot of children and have served a lot of children. So like, what are some strategies or techniques that you've, you see uh, that, that tend to work? Maybe, I don't know if it's more so or, or differently, but that, that tend to work for, you know, adults with ADHD? Yeah, it's such an interesting question because my um, span of clients is from second grade all the way through college. I have law, a law student. I have a person right now who's, you know, crafting songs in the music industry. And mm. I work with parents and um, other professionals. So, um, 
I'm going to tell you something that's going to be a frustrating response because it's not an answer. And it's every case is so different. Mm. I, I think one thing that concerns me in some of the literature that's out there is this, um, you know, neurodiversity is not fitting in a box. And then someone takes these, sometimes these characteristics that can apply and they boil them down and they say, you know, twice exceptional people are usually this. And I'm thinking, well, sometimes mm. that can be true, but I am very much about the individual case and, and peeling back those layers and finding out what, where that spark is for that person where they feel interest and purpose and, um, you know, like, uh, I don't know, curiosity. And mm. I think that's where, when we can start to tap into that, that's our gold mine. So for you, for example, I'm guessing that you like to connect with people. Could this be true? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I wrote a book yeah. about networking. Ah, okay. <laughs> so you know, if I were working with you, Dave, um, I I would be saying to you, hey, your daily vitamin is connection. Who are mm. you connecting with today? And we could build a whole curriculum for you about, okay, well, how are you going to find those people? And how are you going to schedule those people? And how are you going to, you know, record what you learn from those people or whatever it is mm. so that it becomes completely and totally focused on your pulse rather than bringing a program and trying to apply it at you or mm. to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And, and I can, I can completely see where you're coming from. I mean, like, I, I, I guess I would, I would push back a little just to say that, you know, in, in these conversations I've been having um, and in my kind of, you know, poor man's research here, <laughs> you know, very early days of, of kind of reading up and learning about ADHD, especially with, with adults. Well, yeah, I do hear that a lot that it is, it does show very differently in different people, but are, are there any, I mean, surely, I mean, there's an acronym there. So there's similarities between those who are neurodiverse as it applies to ADHD specifically versus neurotypical, as you mentioned. So like, what are those differences and how does treating or, or, or even just being empathetic to those in your life with ADHD, like what are those, what are those things that people should be aware of and, and ways to, to maybe support them? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to pull back and also push back in that I'm a qualitative, <laughs> yeah, I'm a qualitative researcher now. And what that means is I study the individual stories of yeah. each person. And I, you know, I'm thinking of Brene Brown who says I collect stories and she is able to boil down to a key theme, right? Mm. That, yeah. and one of her key themes is people who are vulnerable are strong. Mm. Um, and that, that the reason that they've been able to make connections is because they're, they're willing to go to those soft places, but in terms of characteristics, again, like Sally Shaywitz at the Center for Creativity and Dyslexia at mm. Yale University said, and I love this, she said, if you've met one person who's dyslexic, you've met one person who's dyslexic. And mm. so I am careful about that. And I think it is tricky because we've got this whole eclectic mix of sometimes co-occurrences. So you could have for example, a person with ADHD who does have dyslexia who, or who has clinical anxiety or, you know, uh, trauma or mm. ACEs or something. And so all of these things go into the mix. And I think that's for me, sometimes why I was just approached the other day from somebody who was labeled as bipolar and medicated and has now kind of come to another conclusion and is looking back with a lot of grief, trauma, and anger. So mm. for me, I try to be really careful that way. And, um, and there's some, I guess, things in the DSM, for example, mm -hmm. uh, that are a checklist and that's fine. And people who work with those checklists are in the medical model and the medical model, Dave is deficit based. Mm -hmm. So it says you're broken. It mm. says that you are, that you don't work according to 
how you're supposed to. And one of the reasons why I am in this program and I am working on my doctorate is my program is strengths-based, talent-focused. And so not to whitewash it or rose-colored glass it, but, um, you know, people come to me a lot and say, well, let me tell you three things. Tell me what what I should do. And Mm. I think that gets us into a, a real quagmire there. Because it it does it does put a person in the position of taking an answer approach, and I think I want to stay in the place of curiosity and compassion and the story that is unique to that person. I, the text of a person is sacred. You are my sacred text, so I want to read really, really carefully, and I want to read between the lines. And you can hear me getting kind of quiet. And I want to honor the fact that the there's mystery there, there's interpretation there. And sometimes we need to be really careful and process before jumping into those easy responses. Because I don't think this is an easy journey with whatever diagnosis you may have. You mentioned uh, Yale and you, yeah. you start your program coach and, and master trainer. Is that correct? And it, for the center for emotional intelligence, intelligence at Yale, is that correct? So once upon a time, you know, I, I went to New York and mm. I, I said to my, my family, okay, I want to become a certified coach, life coach. And they're like, what you're spending how much to become what, um, <laughs> And so I earned my initial certification in coaching. And luckily um, for me, I was I was tagged on LinkedIn as one of those. It was still in the early days of, uh, of coaching. I was tagged and um, the Center for Emotional Intelligence at Yale had um, five spots for coaches who were had earned that credential. And so I joined the team at the Center for Emotional Intelligence and began learning that program of emotional literacy with Dr. Mark Brackett. And uh, it was life-changing because a lot of the things I'd been doing in the classroom, right? They thought I was a maverick. They, you know, they thought, they thought all the things. And actually at, at Yale, you can have some minions do a lot of hardcore uh, quantitative and qualitative data collecting and mm. get some real science behind um these theories. And so I was very lucky to work with uh, teachers and principals in a program of emotional literacy in the, in the Catholic schools of Brooklyn and Queens for um, fifth and sixth grade classrooms the first year, and then seventh and eighth grade classrooms the second year. What were some of the revelations or some of the things that, that stood out to you from, you know, that studying like EI, or EI emotional intelligence specifically? Yeah. I mean, I just, it's the heartbeat of, I I just think it's the heartbeat of learning, right? Because Mm. emotional literacy means that at the beginning, middle and end, we want to create an environment of safety. If you're not safe, you cannot learn. I don't care who you are. Um, Your brain shuts down, you know, your amygdala flips and you don't have access to the higher parts of your brain with the prefrontal cortex, speech, language, memory, all of that jazz. Mm. So. I love, I absolutely loved it. And um, we don't in school teach an emotional vocabulary. And we kind of default to those four happy, angry, tired, sad. Mm. Well, speaking of Brene Brown, have you heard of Atlas of the Heart? I have. So she, she has her own curriculum of, I'm sorry about the loud noise. She has um, her own curriculum of emotional literacy where she teaches you know, a, a word anguish, right? She has a quote and then she talks about it. She gives examples of it. And I, you know, I think having the tools that were in what they call the ruler method, mm. um, it's just one example of what you can do in a school curriculum and or a private practice, but having those tools and using those tools are real. They're really helpful in guiding communication between two people, but also the communication that goes on inside of the self. Yeah. And I think we could all use assistance with that for sure. At least I I speak for myself that way. Definitely. Yeah. Um, That self-talk. 
I mean, mm-hmm. having that conversation with the person or persons inside mm-hmm. is huge. Yeah. Yeah. What, 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 tell me a little bit about like the, the self-awareness, like any tips around self-awareness for, for folks to, you know, whether it's, I mean, you, we've mentioned some books here, but some activities, anything that, you know, that listeners can do to help with, with that, obviously self-management and social awareness and, and relationship management are all important too. But I think it all, it always starts with the self. Yeah. Uh, any, any tips there? Or I mean, I'm going to tell you two things. Well, I'm going to again, work backwards. I am, I'm so grateful for this app called Marco Polo. And I've been able to exchange videos with my <laughs> yeah. with my college roommate. And I don't know if she'll ever hear this, but she was so smart. <laughs> she she didn't have to go to class much much. Yeah. She's, a, she's a brilliant individual. And mm. um, and one thing that we're doing is we have a show that we're watching together. And then we talk about it. And she'll say, Oh my gosh, I'll take a picture of the screen and I'll say, Do you see this statue and how they you know, film this scene that this moment of the, you know, the plot where this is happening and that's in the background. She'll be like, Oh my gosh, I would have never seen that. Right. Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So, and we talk about the character development and the plot and the, you know, those camera angles and the different, uh, the different choices that directors are making and et cetera. And it's just so invigorating mm. film. I think we've talked about Jerry and, yeah. um, Mary and, and uh, Mr. Rogers. So obviously I'm, I think film and TV is an incredible uh, venue, but also I'm going to go back to my roots. My roots are in, in reading. Um, Well, also, I guess I would include music there too, Dave, because in terms of self-awareness, I think every time you pick up a book, every single time you are engaging with yourself, you, and I used to say this to, to my students, you, Hopefully reading is engaging on the page. Mm-hmm. You are participating in the making of meaning. And in that act, you are not just connecting with those characters, but you see those characters in yourself. Interesting. So maybe, yeah, read read more fiction and watch more quality films and television. Um, I wonder... I have to ask, and I'm being mindful of our time. What is it Succession that your friend and you are talking about? Oh, that's so funny because it's getting so many awards. Well, right now, um, we've watched a ton of shows together. I could talk to you for a whole other episode about it, but uh-huh. because they've been really, really interesting. I've learned a lot. Um, right now, we're watching The Bear. Oh, yes. I love that show. Yes. It's, yes, it's right up there with uh, Succession, but it's very different, obviously. But uh, it's yeah. a it's a fantastic show. Yeah, the the episode in the first season, I think it's episode six, when the the ticket machine goes awry and all these orders start coming through. That whole episode was shot without uh, an edit, so the whole thing was shot handheld, no edits. And okay, I'm not there yet. But okay. I can't well, wait. Yeah, no spoiler, don't worry. But it, but that epi- <laughs> but that episode is when you see it yeah, lo- notice the the fact that it that there there's no edits at all and and it's it it makes it even that much more that much better and that much more impactful. And uh the other thing I'll mention without spoiling anything because I'm very intentional with that is that that show, the director of that show would only allow one or two takes for the actors yeah. each. Uh, that's yeah. it. So they wouldn't do a third. And I think that really helps to uh, yep. capture the sort of awkwardness and the stress of the actors yep. as yep. they're portrayed in the characters. So it's it's pretty fascinating. I'm a big film nerd, but I wish we oh. had more time for that. Uh, well, and I, I guess yeah. I would comment on, you know, that's part of what my work is too, is I'm trying to help my clients step away from the perfection and the procrastination and get back into the process. Mm. And I think, you know, when you were saying, is there anything that we can help with ADHD or cognitive diversity? I have so many folks who are anxious because they are looking at the, at the process as a one-time only thing. Mm. And for us, it's about getting in there and going, well, let's see what we can do right now with the five minutes we have left. Right. Yeah. Um, 
it, it, in, in terms of what that director too is also doing, it's kind of like this dichotomy of let's give it one take and see what we can get. It's yeah. going to be like, it's good enough. You're good enough. This is okay. Right. Instead of trying to have this perfect um, product. Yeah. It's, it's taking the ingredients you have getting in the kitchen and seeing what you can whip up. And you might come up with like the best new dish that didn't exist before. It might be yeah. chocolate and peanut butter. Who knows? Um, this has been awesome. And being mindful of your time here, is there anything I didn't ask you or, or anything you, you wanted to share um, uh, before we uh, wrap up? Well, I, I would love to come back down the road, Dave, and talk about um, parents and what maybe parents can do to support students. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe the parents you would be thinking about are parents, you know, like you, you're a parent. How mm -hmm. can you as a dad with ADHD have compassion for your kids? Right. Mm -hmm. And also navigate, and negotiate all of the different worlds that you're juggling. I don't know. It's just an idea, but um, thank you for having me. It's been an honor and a pleasure and a delight. Yeah, thank you. It's been yeah, it's been lots of fun. What how can people get a hold of you and learn more about what you do and get in touch? Yeah, they can go to um, you know, I'm gonna give you uh first the website for adults. It's sandraclifton.com. Um, and then if you have someone who is a kiddo, um, it's sensitivestudents.com. Great. Well, I will make sure to include uh, links to everything we talked about here in the show notes so people can click over and, and learn more. So uh, okay, yeah, great. thanks again for, for joining me today. This has been fun. Oh, thank you, Dave. It's been a joy. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Why Squirrels. I'm Dave Delaney. The music to the show is Unyielding Conditioning by the one and only Fishbone. And you can find that song and all of Fishbone's music wherever you stream music. We thank them for this. We love Fishbone. Are you a wise squirrel? Visit wisequirrels.com to find out. And let's keep the conversation going. I'll see you there.